Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish, and let me tell you, I am so excited right now for two reasons. Number one, go Dubs. The Warriors, the Golden State Warriors are in the NBA Finals, and uh, the Bay Area is a buzz. Let me tell you, if you like some other NBA team, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. This is Warrior Nation. Anyway, the second reason I'm excited is because we just started this past weekend a brand new sermon series on the book of Matthew. We're calling it Matthew Season 2. If you recall, season one was the first part of the chapters one through four of uh, of Matthew, and this is season two. We're going to be focusing on this clump of teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most important and seminal um, kind of pieces of ancient history. Um, ancient teachings, people, humans have been ruminating on this for literally decades, hundreds of years, millennia. Humans have been transfixed by this important teaching of Jesus, what it means, and how it can transform us. And so we're going to get into it. Now, will this sermon series, will this podcast illuminate something? Will it bring greater clarity to you and your heart about this important teaching of Jesus? I don't know, but Steve and I are going to try. And so that's where we're going to head. We're going to talk about the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes. We're going to dive right in. So uh, hopefully it will be helpful. And with that, let's dive right in. Well, thanks okay. for being here. Yeah. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to be seen. Uh, so we are in the new sermon series. Well, not a new sermon series, a continuation. It's a, it's a series. It's like the second second season. Yes. I love I that. like that. It's like a... It's like Netflix. It's a way of thinking. About, yeah. Yeah. Uh, season, season two, two of It's Matthew. always good to have a season two. That means the first season went okay. And I think the first season <laughs> went pretty well. Uh, Matthew, actually, if you think about it, we had a preseason. A it's pre- actually third season. It's actually a third season because over Christmas, we talked about the birth right. of Jesus and Matthew's kind of account of that. Yeah. Then we went into the first part of Jesus' story and Ma- up to about Matthew 4 through the temptation. Yeah. And yep. now we're at this three chapter block, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, yeah. where we get into like the teachings of Jesus, uh, the ethical. Uh, well, know. yeah, we'll actually have five. This is the first of five teachings of Jesus, right? In terms of how Matthew, five blocks of yeah, teaching, five Matthew. blocks of teaching that um, people certainly smarter than you and I um, figured out that the book was actually organized um, in that way to replicate or to to hint try to at, access hint, hint, some yeah. credibility of the Torah, the yeah, five the, books of the, the Torah, five, yeah, the five books, and even in this moment, um, Matthew. If he's anything, is super Jewish. Matthew oh, yeah. is like he can't, super duper Jewish. Yeah, I don't think he can be anything but that. Yeah, that's what that's how he thinks. That's how he's raised. That's what he, he's been steeped in the scripture. So he sees Jesus as not just from the lineage of Abraham or King David, but also in the Sermon on the Mount, a little mo- that we got some Moses vibes. Oh some yeah, giant yeah. Moses vibes. So we've caught some Abraham. Some Abraham and David stuff already. Yes, genealogy, the king stuff, and yeah. the birth yep. story. Yeah, that's all tied. Yep, yep. So that was pretty huge there. Now we've got the third, the big Mo. Um, <laughs> and if you get those three guys, essentially you've got the the narrative of the Old Testament. I mean, uh, yeah, at least the storyline, the general storyline. There's lots of things in between those guys. But well, Moses is kind of like the law, right? He kind of represents the law, the Pentateuch, right? The well, the deliverance and the law. What? Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
So you, right. Actually, good point. Cause you've got the deliverance from Egypt. So Jesus has come like the new Moses to lead us to yeah. deliverance or to, um, out of slavery. Now the slavery here, it's not just to Rome. It's, it's much actually bigger than that. Our opponent, the opponent that Jesus is going to slay is not an evil Pharaoh, but something much, much bigger, sin and death itself. Right. Correct. Um, so there's that. And then also the giving of the new law, right? It's a little bit like Jesus goes up on the mountain, just like Moses went up on the mountain. Um, he's in the wilderness for 40 days. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, there's some, there's some, Oh, there's, there's, it, it, there's too many, in, there's too many parallels not to be intentional. Right. And, and that's why when you, when you get a little common, I wouldn't pick this stuff up probably on my own, just re- casually reading. I would. I'm pretty smart, Yeah, Steve. you are. I, that's kidding. what I've noticed about you, but I probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but once someone points it out to you, which, of course, we have now done. Right. Multiple times uh, in, and through in the, the series. series. So yeah. once, the, once it's pointed out to you, you begin to go, wow, this is not just some yeah. dude writing some stories down, right? right? This, yeah. this is a very careful and very intentional gathering of biographical material to 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 defend a case to right. basically say this dude's the he is the fulfillment of the old testament yeah. he is greater than moses it's like uh it's almost like he's taking he's he's making a quilt he's 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 taking these little squares and he's like make or a mosaic you know what i mean he's like making yeah. a picture yes. And and yeah. and if you stare at it, you'll you'll see it pretty clearly. And it would have been blasphemous for them to hear it for the first time, his audience, for somebody to stand up and say, "Listen, this dude Jesus is way better than Moses." That's like saying somebody's better than Steph Curry. Yeah, right, right in the playoffs right now. I mean, it's in the Bay Area. I sure, mean, sure. It, everybody just loves Steph Curry, yeah. and rightfully so. Me too. Right, um, right. So for anybody to say, "Oh yeah, I'd rather have this player than Steph Curry," you're like, "What?" So there's also another element of this. Um, and a couple of commentators have gotten this. There's another, uh, not only the Moses tie, but there's also, um, there's also a little bit of a, when, when there's revolutionaries, they hide in the mountains, right? And he's, he, by all accounts, he's up in the mountains overlooking Galilee, right? That that's where this, this discourse takes place. Um, at least it's, it's centered in Matthew. Um, there's a sense of, there's a revolutionariness to this. He is bringing about a new kingdom. Yeah. And yeah. that new kingdom, uh, we actually titled season two, um, the Upside Down, right? Uh, right, Upside Down Kingdom. Ups, uh, yeah, so there's a sense in which there's something upside down about this. that He's subverting. Most revolutionaries just kind of tinker with the system. Like, I'd like to be on top, thank you, right? Right. Uh, as opposed to Jesus is actually going to dismantle. And we'll get into that next week because Jesus is going to talk about the values of this kingdom or yeah. or the ethics of this kingdom or the ethics of the people of this kingdom or who's in this kingdom. Um, those We're going to talk about that a lot next week. Yeah. But there's a little bit of a revolutionary nature to this discourse. There, there really is. And that's where the confusion lies um, because there is a pre... As a, there's a prejudice to what kind of revolutionary the, that the religious leaders are looking for. Right. There is the conquering... Um, king, you know, that they, they are looking for deliverance. And you can't blame them. I mean, Rome is not right. a kind, right. you know, uh, beneficiary uh, yeah. Yeah. kind of thing. To, yeah. uh, it, it, it would be tough being under the thumb of Rome, especially in Palestine. Right. I mean, because they, they, they give a rip about that. They just want the resources from there. And, um, and that area is a pain. So they get sick of them really quickly and they deal with them really harshly. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's not 
unusual to want deliverance from that. But Jesus is going to start as soon as he, as soon as we get into it next week, he's just going to start laying out the the atmosphere of the kingdom that he's talking about, and people right away are going, "Huh, right? You know what? What? I don't. That's not what I was expecting." Jesus is going to be a different sort of king than they wanted, and he's going to have a different sort of value system that they than they expected. Yeah. Um, and it's going to subvert that. We'll get into that a lot more next week. But I wanted to, there's some edges to this. Okay. Um, Jesus is ushering in the kingdom. He's obviously there. He's healing. Mm-hmm. Like he's literally bringing about, he's like reversing the curse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about like what what is blessing and what does it mean to be blessed? And blessing goes all the way back to Genesis. Um, God blessed the animals to be fruitful. He blessed humans in this covenantal relationship. Um, so blessing comes with it, the idea of creative and life. It has, it comes with a covenant relationship. It comes with it life, not death. And then of course, curses are the opposite. Curses are death, not life. Instead of flourishing, you've got scarcity. And instead of covenant, you've got broken relationships. Mm-hmm, so that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the curse. Jesus is reversing all this. Um, but, and, and, the, and just in, in light of this past week and all the news, a lot of folks have, you know, they've, they've, they've emailed, they've written, and they're saying, man, this kingdom that Jesus is bringing, it's way too slow. It's coming way too slow. Yeah, I mean, if I have, if I have a critique against Jesus, there's some particulars about my personal life and how it's turned out that I've got, I've got some bones to pick with him. If that's, I know that sounds a little bit irreligious, but, or unrespectful, disrespectful, but but the truth is, is that 2,000 years is a long time to wait. I mean, come on, what the heck? Uh, yeah. If you're going to come back and make things right, how much more do we have to screw things up? Yeah. Uh, we need your help. It's, obviously, it's obvious that the, the, that culture um, is, you know, and fraying, coming loose at the edges. But then I think back historically... Um, what it must have felt like in 1917 when the world was on fire. Yeah. What it must have felt like in 1945 when we realized the the capabilities to destroy the planet as we know it. Yeah. What it must have been like in, you know, in 1968 or 69. Yeah, when, with King getting assassinated and then RFK oh, it, and then the well, Vietnam earlier, draft. And, and then and just, just all that. Can you imagine being 60 years old and watching Woodstock unfold? Yeah. And how much you must have thought that the world is unraveling. And, yeah. and so, so this isn't new. It just feels well, I don't, new. It, it, it feels different. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, the scriptures are pretty, um, when they talk about this, there's one particular passage where it says, you know, he, he seems to be slow, but his slow, he's slow for a reason. I mean, we have to remember that when he decides to bring his kingdom to bear in full effect— yeah. Um, it, 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 the, the opportunity to choose is done. Um, you know, it's over. Right. Uh, it. Uh, his kingdom is now established. The the sides have been established. Sides are picked and placed. And all of that is you know. So when you think about that, you you it's easy to see from God's. Here's what I think God is an expert in math. And so I think there's a time when it will be mathematically the very best time for Jesus to return. Yeah. Where the most, 
amount of people can benefit from his grace. I, and I don't know that math. I don't know yeah. that equation. You know, I don't understand that, that uh, formula to plug in the numbers. There's a, my, you know, my son asks these questions, you know, because everyone has to struggle with these questions. And especially in light of, um, for some reason, and I know you've got elementary school kids that Grand, you love, grandkids. grandkids. There are kids that you love very much that are in second, third, and fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And the Evaldi, Texas um, incident it it just it's just heavy it's it's abject evil it, and it makes people say god it, i i question how slow this kingdom is coming because that level of pain is is so intense god why wouldn't you just speed this up and so there's a theodicy i think that our even our nation goes through um in, in the middle of these kind of national tragedies yeah and i wish i wish i had um i think i wish I had a better answer. Um, the, but I do think that there's a generational amplification of choice. In, in other words, the, the, um, the way I think about it, and just, just for me, is that when bad choices are made and then other bad choices are made on top of that, the exponential growth of evil is not just one plus one plus one. It, it begins to multiply instead. Yeah, compounded evil. And so it, it's it's true about good. It's true about good, thankfully, that good is actually has a compounding effect. You get one person to do good, then the yeah. second person does good, but the it's not just two goods. It's it's a, somehow a third good. That, yeah. Right? Yeah, and so, but, but But the opposite is also true, yeah. and you find yourself where... Um, unbelievable evil. Yeah. It's not, it's, there's been way more evil things than Uvalde uh, happen in our world. It's, it's, but it's just so senseless. It's, it's so, um, you know, as, as evil as some of the things that I'm, some of the periods of time that I mentioned, the World War One and Two, and sure. some of the wars that we've been in. At least, at least the motivations behind those things had some kind of a reasoning. Right. We see things now, and they, we see these young lives with so much potential yeah. um, just gone. Yeah. You know, just go to school one morning and then don't come home. And um, yeah, it's heartbreaking, man. It's, it's heartbreaking. There was a, there was a verse. Um, so I was listening to a sermon, and they just referenced it. It would not mean anything about this. I just stopped and I was like, I, I need to sit on that for a bit. Um, I haven't thought about this one for a while. Paul in Romans 13, he says, the night's nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's like, it's dawn. And I was thinking about dawn even this morning as mm-hmm. I got up. Um, there there was a skunk that was killed nearby. And so it came in through the windows and it woke me up. And I had to shut up the house. So I think that was God's way of waking me. I was wake uh, early in the morning. I was up and I was looking at dawn. It's not light, but it's not dark, mm-hmm. but it's not light. Yeah. And Paul's saying we're in dawn. Like Christ, yeah. Christ has come. I'm, day will come. There will be a time when all things will be set right. Light will be, it will be noon and it will be glorious. But we're not there. And so because there's still light and dark commingled right now, 
it's possible for you to see the darkness pretty clearly. And it's also possible to be deceived by the darkness and walk in darkness. Yeah. So walk instead in, in day. I, I thought that, that that metaphor was like, it actually really helped me because it's, it's hopeful and realistic at the same time. It, we use words like now and not yet. Uh, the kingdom's here, but not fully here. That really helped. And so I was like, man, that was, that was really helpful for me. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think all that's left for us is to um, be obedient to what Jesus has made really clear, which is, you know, the great commandment mm-hmm. to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves. a third love to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And then the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Go go and immerse people in the goodness of God. Right. You know, if baptism is about immersion, let's let's immerse people. Um, it's kind of a Dallas Willard idea of just immersing people, what disciples look like as they're immersed into the goodness of God. And somehow, um, um, somehow we, the scriptures talk about this process of, of living out the life of God as being like a restrainer of evil. Mm. Somehow you and I today, you and I can, can, can even, just in our purposeful um, trying to walk in a closeness with God, yeah. we can beat back evil. We can <laughs> yeah. beat it back. You know, yeah. we, a, a smile, a, um, yeah. a kindness, a, a considerate word, yeah. those kinds of things. Psalm, uh, this morning my in my um, time with the Lord that... Psalm six of uh, seventy, I think it's Psalm seventy three, where it says the nearness of God is my good, huh? And, and and he says he's right with me if I'll allow him to be. And yeah, it's and choosing, so it, choosing it's God, just making a choice, just a conscious choice today. You know, I'm I I don't know how much you know I can really do, but I can. But when I meet somebody, I can I can encourage them. Right. Um, it's simple things. Right. Simple things. I right. I I had a guy. Um, Two nights ago, I took Dana out um, um, to have dinner to kind of celebrate the end of her full-time tenure at Westgate. And the guy that waited on us did an ex- did just was really um, attentive to us. He checked on us a lot of times, and I just told him at the end, I said, "Man, you did you do good work." Um, mm. um, and I tried to tip him more than I normally would, but just because I just thought. And just to, just to say, man, I, I appreciate the work you did. You you took, I said, you do good work and you took good care of us. Oh, Thank you. Cool. Thank you for taking care of us. And you know, and I don't know, that's just a, I'm not trying to get anybody to pat me on the back. I'm just saying in very small things. You can make an impact. Yeah. It's not like you got to go and <laughs> go out and do exorcisms, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go out and, and, and fight <laughs> demons face to face with a sword. I mean, some may be called to do something like that at some point, but really ours is just, just be agents of good. Just be, yeah. you know, kind, the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, right. patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And um, Paul says that's actually walking in the armor of the light. Yeah, that's bringing it's, light. It's living that's in the light. Living yeah. like light. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's, that's, that's a helpful thing. But also as we get into the Beatitudes, as we start into the Sermon on the Mount, which is these three chapters, um, is there anything else that that struck you this time? Because one of the things that's hard about this passage is it's so familiar, and so familiarity often they say familiarity breeds contempt. I think sometimes familiarity breeds like you don't see it's it's not like right in front of you. It's not as shocking as it would have been the first time you heard it, maybe. So 
as you were going through the Beatitudes this time and wrestling with it, did anything jump out at you um, just this time? Yeah. The, what, well, lots of things maybe jumped out, but one of the, the, the predominant feeling for yeah. me is I've preached through this a few times. Sure. I've read it a lot. Um, I'm 65. I've been a Christian for almost 40 years. And I still don't get it. I still, th- this, ser- this Sermon on the Mount is like, it's like walking into holy ground. I mean, it's just like, when you think about the, the breadth and depth of this teaching, these few chapters, that tens of thousands of books have been written about this. Men way smarter and way more godly than me have spent their life um, unpacking, unpacking it, yeah. or illustrating it. Artists, right, with sculptor and and right. painting and 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 treatise and wor- and words, just trying to get their head around what Jesus casually said off the top of his head, you know. Um, and because he lives in the kingdom, he's yeah, he's he dwells um, there. And as he explains it to us, you you get how different it is, how how um, holy it is! How mm. oh my gosh! You could spend, you know, we're gonna f- we're gonna just we're gonna spend two times thirty minutes, you know, on these beatitudes, and then several weeks, I don't know, or months on Sermon on the Mount. But no uh, way, it's enough. Still, it's yeah. yeah, it's just you know, yeah. As soon as you re- I, you know, I've got the sermon in hand. I've worked on the slides. You know, Lynn, my uh, executive assistant, has been so diligent through the years, and she she's helped me. And as soon as I do that, then I turn and look, and I flip a page over, and I see another great thing. So I catch another great thought, and it's just like you could. There's this scene. Okay, so this is weird, and you may want to edit this out. But there's, <laughs> I love the movie The Samurai, The Last Samurai. Oh, with Tom Cruise. With Tom Cruise. Have you been on a Tom Cruise uh, binge because of uh, no, Top Gun Maverick? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Um, have I'm, you seen Top Gun Maverick? No. The, the new one? Yeah. No. You, you'll enjoy it. Is it good? It's quite good. Okay. Does he run in it? Because he runs in every movie, Always. Right? Okay. So anyway, <laughs> The Last Samurai, um, there's this, the guy who is The Last Samurai. Right. He's standing in this um, this garden, and he's looking at these trees who have just, these these fruit trees that have just bloomed, and he says... The perfect blossom is a rare thing. You could spend your life looking for one, and it would not be a wasted life. And I think you could spend your whole life um, studying and meditating and dwelling on the Sermon of the Mount, and it would not be a wasted life. Huh. It's just such deep water. Yeah, just staring at it. Yeah, And, and, and I, I've, come to, I've, I've, I've just come to a deeper appreciation of it. That's really cool. Yeah, that's um, the depths here are like even we're in the we, deep end. Yeah, we're in the deep end here. And, and yet, you and I have water in our nose. But I got to tell you, <laughs> yeah, that um, I have. I'm really glad we're teaching it together a couple weeks in a row. I don't know if we do the the. I'm doing three out of four weekends. Yeah, I don't know if you're doing that weekend with yeah. me. But these two have been really. It's been fun to yeah really fun to do it with you. Well, yeah, and it's so deep. Uh, one of the things that it's also, um, here's my analogy. When I was a kid, 
I would sometimes go to spend the night at my friends' houses, you know, and you go into your friend's house and you realize, oh, they do things very differently here. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, they're allowed to watch that movie. You know, we're allowed to watch Predator at your house. What? <laughs> or you, you wake up in the morning and, you know, would you like some Pop-Tarts? You know, and I'm like, wait, you guys have Pop-Tarts? <laughs> I know this is going to be hard to believe. My parents didn't allow me to have sugar for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> they they thought it would make me hyperactive. I can't imagine that. <laughs> and so they have sugary cereal. It's like it's very clear that the rules of the house are different, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and as a coach, and then the other thing I started thinking of was coaching. We got the NBA Finals this week, and we've got Steve Kerr, who's this coach, and and the new Boston Celtics coach. They, they bring a culture with them, mm-hmm. a way of doing things. You know this, too, like – different coaches have different cultures and they say, you know, the old way of going, you might not have conditioned, but I'm, I'm a condition you, or you might've only been offense. We are going to focus on whatever it might be. Right. right. Coaches bring regimes. Mm -hmm. They bring a way of doing things. Households have a way of doing things. And it really felt as I was sinking into this, we're going to be looking at God's house rules, how his, how his family is, his coaching. Here's what I, here's what we're going to focus on. You've heard it said, but I say to you, right. You know, like there's a, there's a new coach. And the question I think that a lot of people might ask is why should I listen to Jesus as a coach, as a, as a, as a household, why should I follow these household rules? And, uh, it, and as he's coming down the mountain, (laughs) he's healing. And for me, that's the handwriting on the wall. Like he's literally miraculously undoing things, following Jesus. It this dawn has happened. Day will come. It's not dusk. It's dawn. Light's gonna win. He's the one. The empire's gonna fall. The old way's gonna fall. Sure. This is the, this is the eternal thing. And as we step into this, it's gonna require some deep work for all of us to live these kingdom rules, these house rules, the the way of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of how, what I, that's the kind of way I thought about it. And uh, it's going to take us a long time to really not just understand this, but like live it out to, to your point. Yeah. And I guess I, another reason, why should I listen to Jesus? Well, just on impact alone. Um, oh, well, just, sure. Just walk outside your street and look at the names of streets or look at the names of your neighbors. Right. Look at the names of the cities we live in. Look at the, the calendar that you, uh, the date that you write. Well, you don't, write much anymore but the count the date that comes up on your computer um you're saying at, like san jose san francisco it, it, yeah. you know it's all san it, yeah. there's so many ties back to this guy jesus yeah He's who without history. writing a single book without owning one inch of property yeah without having any official titles or governmental responsibilities um flip the world upside down mm-hmm. and it, it, you can't deny that just on impact alone, and and, and Sermon on the Mount, we have this this sermon that is here, um, not only here recorded for us in Matthew, it's recorded in other parts of the Gospels, and then recorded in early church fathers, so much so that we don't even need Matthew. Right. We don't even need Matthew to know what the Sermon on the Mount was, because it was quoted so many times all over the place. Right. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of times in the first and second century. So you, you pop that forward now and you go tens of thousands. Why wouldn't you? I mean, he obviously has something to say that has stood the test of time. Now, you can choose to reject it and, and say, I'm not, you know, not going to do that. Yeah. Um, I had no idea when I trusted Jesus. I had no idea of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And when somebody exposed it to me, I was like, man, I'm, I'm glad I didn't know. Because yeah. I would have probably thought, this is too hard. I'm not in. Yeah. It's too hard. Hey, let's talk about one more edge before we go. And that is the edge of doing versus grace, right? Mm-hmm. There's an edge here in which sometimes people either get afraid or they're even perhaps even taught um, that, you know, being with God is about a forgiveness of sins. It's about accepting an alien righteousness that is given to us. And there's a sense in which that's the end of it. You know, at the end of your life, God's going to like scan your brain, make sure you believe the right things. And if that UPC code of belief is there, you get into heaven. Now I'm, I'm being facetious, but that's kind of an implication. We don't, we don't, that, that, that somehow the life of faith is against the life of work or doing work with God. And I read the Sermon on the Mount and I think to myself, and I, I think you probably hinted at this, there's a lot of work I need to do. Like I need God's transforming power to like really make me into the kind of person where I even want this, you know? Yeah. So how do you, how do you help people kind of see that the life of, and, and Dallas Willard famously said, you know, grace is not opposed to work. It's opposed to earning. Yeah. So this isn't earning, but it is work and God's good gift that he gives us salvation, rescue, cleansing, forgiveness, and his spirit. It, there's some, there's some work here. We have to look like Jesus. So how do you, how do you hold those intention that his salvation, God's work is, is a grace gift that we can't earn. And yet, mm-hmm. man, there's so much that we need to do. I, I don't hold them in as, as much tension as some do. Uh-huh. And, and it's because I would never apply that reasoning to any relationship of love that I have in my life. I would never say to Dana, Dana, I love you, and since you love me, I can do what I want. <laughs> right? I mean, you would, yeah. So the, don't have any expectations on me. Just know that I love you. And um, if you see me with some other woman, or if you see me doing something that you don't like, um, or that's dishonoring of you and it's not respectful of you, don't, you know, I, no, I love you. That, no that's, expectations, that's, that's please. Good Thank you. That's good enough. That's good enough. That you that's not what love is. Right. Right? That's not what a relationship is. Right. So why would it be any different with God? And why would it be that I would just say, hey, God, thanks thanks for the fire insurance and keeping me out of hell. Now I'm going to go do what I want. Um, you know, the, the indication, if I, if I did that to my wife, if I said to her, I love you, um, but I'm going to do what I want, you're, you know, any trained counselor would say, you don't love her. You, right. lo- you love yourself. Right. You're on the throne. Yeah. And I would say the same thing about our relationships with, with God through Jesus. Um, right. For anyone to say, you know, since, it's, since he loves me so unconditionally, I can just do what I want. Um, tra- fact is, you can. You can. But there'll be consequences for it, and he won't rescue him from it. Um, because he loves you enough to let you... Uh, suffer for it and but that's not a life of blessing <laughs> no it's not a, it, and it, it, there's such a there's a life that's really life that little phrase yeah. in the new testament there's, yeah. there's a life that is really life and and there's a relationship available and joy and things that come from it and if you want that then you have to enter into the relationship with the same kind of understanding in terms that you would have with anybody that you had a relationship with now yeah it doesn't have to be romantic if I have a relationship with a friend and yet I'm completely disrespectful and disregard his wishes and I never make any effort to be with him that's not a friendship right that's a friendship yeah that's somebody that I use occasionally for my own 
for my own agenda. And that's what we do with God. Yeah. We just want him to be the genie in the bottle, you know, get to, stuff from to him. be a holy yeah. Santa Claus and so that he can make our life work. That's not what he wants. Yeah. He wants relationship for for us to be able to live the life that is really life. And he wants to do that with us. He's, he loves us that much. Yeah. And has made provision so that we can have that. So the, it, it, to properly, to understand work and, and grace or love, um, those are from the same root word, um, grace and love, it, to understand that properly is just to understand relationships. I mean, that's the way it works. And we would never, we would never have a friend that treated us that way. Right. And, and yet it, it does seem to me, and you've been banging this, you've been banging this drum for decades, literally that Christ likeness, we have to become like Jesus. He's well, our, I mean, okay. Here's what you don't have to. Well, you, so that's the, that's that I know I'm being particular here, sure. but that's kind of, that's the deal. That's the point is that, um, Jesus, Jesus has done all the work so that I can have a relationship with him. And if I truly embrace that, I, I'm never going to be really as as like him fully. There's always going to be things going on. Even the older I get, the more sophisticated I am about hiding my sin and the more that they happen in my mind. But the Sermon on the Mount is the great teaching that says that matters just as much. Right. Right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't have to, but I, but I want to. So the whole idea of how I behave is really a matter of motives. Sure. Do I do this to earn, or do I do this out of love and and, right. and grace? And but I was saying that the the yeah. drum the drum you've been beating is as a church our goal is Christ likeness. Oh yeah. If 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 we're about he's the target. Anything, his if we're life, about anything. It's about this. His life is the target on the wall, and it's a lifelong pursuit that's worth our effort. Yeah, our very best effort. And next week we're going to get into some particulars. Yeah. Uh, nine in particular. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Nine different ways um, that Jesus kind of illuminates, talks about the values, talks about his people, the ethical qualities he wants in his people, the kinds of hearts, the kinds, you know, the kinds, and, and who the kingdom is coming to. And that's a shock. Actually, it's not a shock because we've already seen in Matthew, he, he's born in a stable. If he can come to a stable, he can come anywhere. And we're going to see exactly um, how low he goes and how. Who's this who this kingdom is available to? We'll get into that, um, and we'll spend some more time there. But thanks for uh, this kind of intro session, and I'm excited to dive into the particulars, which I think are that it's it's gonna be hard. Yeah, it'll it's be deep water, deep water. Right. And uh, so let's glad put to on, do it with you. Let's put on our floaties <laughs> and let's get in there. <laughs> All right, we'll good. see you next week. Okay. Just want to say thanks to Steve Clifford. We're going to be back next week. Steve and I are going to be back in the podcast studio, and we're actually going to go through the Beatitudes. We're going to go through them. We're going to dissect them. We're going to try to pull and cull out of them the gold that is in them and present it to you, loyal listener. So hopefully next week there's going to be a lot of gold uh, and very little iron ore. That was a mining reference. I'm not really into metallurgy, but there it is. There's the analogy. I hope to see you next week. And uh, once again, go Dubs. See you soon.